0: Hello, I'm Michael Novogratzik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 5th, 2017. Now, last week marked the most eventful week in changing the tax code since 1986, as the Senate approved its version of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Now, in today's podcast, we're going to talk about what that means and what's next, as well as taking a look at other headlines in the tax credit world. And by the way, this week marks 32 years since the tax act of 1986 was introduced in the House of Representatives. That legislation, which created the long income Housing Tax Credit, was signed into law more than 10 months later. That's right, 10 months, on October 22, 1986. Here are some interesting facts for comparison to what's happening now. In 1986, there was a 203-day gap between when the initial tax reform bill was introduced in the House and the full Senate approved its version. This year, that gap was all of 29 days. In 1986, by the way, there was an additional three months before the House and Senate agreed to the final version of the bill. We'll talk about how long that might take this year in this week's podcast. If you're ready, let's get started. After months of talk, The Senate passed its version of tax reform early Saturday morning. Now we wait for House and Senate Conference Committee to hammer out a compromise bill that could pass both houses of Congress. The Senate, last Saturday morning, passed the Tax Cut and Jobs Act by a 51 to 49 vote. Senator Bob Corker was the only Republican to vote against the legislation and every Democrat and Independent voted no. As you know, the House and Senate bills have some significant differences, especially in the tax credit provisions. But let's start with what's retained. What's retained by the Senate bill and what's retained by the House bill. The Senate bill retains the long-term housing tax credit, it preserves the tax exemption for private activity bonds, it keeps the 20% historic tax credit, although the credit would be taken over five years instead of all one place in service, The Senate Bill continues the New Markets Tax Credit through the 2019 allocation round and continues the current law phase down of renewable energy investment tax credit and production tax credit. Turning to the House version, the House version retains only volume cap allocated low-income housing tax credits. The House version does preserve the renewable energy 30% investment tax credit phase down, but it also extends so-called orphaned investment tax credit technologies and preserves the production tax credit phase-down, but without the inflation adjustment and with a continuous construction requirement. Now, on the negative side, what do both bills end? The House bill ends productivity bonds as of the end of this year. It ends the historic tax credit as of the end of this year with transition rules. It ends the New Markets Tax Credit program after the 2017 Allocation Round and it ends the 10% renewable energy investment tax credit after the year 2027. So the Senate bill is generally more favorable to the affordable housing community as well as to the areas of community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy. But it's important to know there were some last minute changes to the Senate bill that will affect adversely tax credit investing community. We'll talk about them in a minute. But first, let's look at what's next. The House voted on Monday, yesterday, to go to conference and nominated several members for that committee. Now, the conference committee members from the House, Republicans, would be Ways and Means Committee Chairman Kevin Brady, Budget Committee Chairwoman, and also Ways and Means Committee member, Diane Black, the House Committee on Natural Resources Chairman, Rob Bishop, and the Chairman of the House Committee on Energy and Commerce, Greg Walden, as well as the chairman of the Ways and Means Subcommittee on Tax Policy, Peter Roskam. The conference committee would also include Ways and Means Committee members Devin Nunez and Christy Nome, as well as Natural Resources Committee member Don Young and Energy and Commerce Committee member John Shimkus. Now, the Senate is expected to name its members soon, and we expect the Republican members to include Finance Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch, of course, as well as Senate Energy Committee Chairwoman Lisa Murkowski, and the Senate Budget Committee Chairman Mike Enzi, as well as other Republican members from the Energy and Finance Committees. Now the Conference Committee could be as short as one day, that's how short the meeting could be, to hash out the differences between the bills. Now we understand that lots of pre-conferencing had started before the final Senate vote last week and continued over the weekend into this week. Now once agreement is reached within the Conference Committee, and it may not start to meet until next week, the conference committee would then vote on a conference report that would create a final tax bill that would then be sent to the full House and Senate for final approval. The big question is how the final bill will look. Most observers think that the final version will be closer to the Senate bill than the House bill. That's because, among several reasons, the House bill does not comply with Senate budget reconciliation rules. That said, There's nothing that guarantees anything in the Senate bill will be in the final bill. That includes the tax credit provisions that advocates fought so hard to get included in the Senate bill that were left out of the House bill. Those who value affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy should continue to make their case to their representatives, particularly in the House. The momentum is clearly behind the tax bill, which indicates Republicans will most likely find a way to reach a compromise. I said earlier there were some last-minute changes to the Senate bill as part of the Manager's Amendment. The first significant change was the Roberts Low Income Housing Tax Credit Amendment, which would replace the existing lost safe harbor for artist housing with a safe harbor for veterans. Now this change would effectively repeal the artist housing exception and it would apply even to projects already placed in service which means that existing housing for artists that were financed by loan income tax credits and are in the midst of their 15-year compliance period, they could be at risk of recapture if this provision passes. That's clearly a dangerous prospect. Hopefully, this veteran's provision won't replace the artist's housing provision and to the extent needed, just becomes an additional safe harbor. Now, the Roberts Amendment also would provide an automatic basis boost for all rural 9% percent long cash tax credit developments the automatic boost is for rural 9% transactions but it would be offset by a reduction in the rate of the basis boost of 30% to 25% now it's unclear to what degree an offset is really required because changing an automatic basis boost for rural 9% transactions shouldn't have much in the way of revenue cost and the offset Reducing the basis boost from 30% for all developments to 25% for all developments, both 9% and bond finance, seems to have a much higher tax cost. So this change, this reduction of basis boost, has two notable downsides. The first, the change automatically reduces the basis boost for all properties that were receiving it, including the rural 9% properties it intends to help. Effectively cutting out a 5% boost and potentially making some properties financially infeasible. The second is that it's effective for properties that may have received allocations already and or arranged financing already, but haven't yet been placed in service. This is a notable change, and we're hopeful that this change doesn't make it in to the final bill that's enacted as part of tax reform. There were at least two other significant changes in the manager's amendment. That have adverse effects on tax credits. The BEAT and corporate AMT. So what's the BEAT? BEAT is an acronym for base erosion and anti-abuse tax, BEAT. This provision, the BEAT, could make it much less attractive to invest in such things as the Long Commons Tax Credit, the New Market Tax Credit, Renewable Energy Tax Credits, and Historic Tax Credits. Now, more specifically, in general, to the extent tax credits reduce a taxpayer's regular income tax below their tentative beat, those tax credits are considered used and lost, even though those tax credits did not reduce the taxpayer's liability. Now, that's a mouthful, so let me give you a real simple example. If a taxpayer used $10 million in tax credits to reduce their regular tax below their beat, once again they used $10 million in tax credits to reduce their regular tax below their BEAT, then those $10 million in tax credits, to the extent they lowered their regular tax below their BEAT, would be considered used and lost, even though those tax credits did not actually reduce the taxpayers' tax liability. Some of the changes made on the Senate floor in the Managers Amendment did offset some of the issues around the BEAT, particularly for U.S.-owned banks, However, foreign owned banks and many U.S. banks would still have problems. We're hopeful, as part of the conference, the BEAT provision can be unwound to some extent or, at a minimum, allow a five year carry forward of credits that are not used because of a BEAT tax. Now, the second issue in the Manager's Amendment is that the legislation reinstated the current law, Individual and Corporate Alternative Minimum Tax or AMT tax rates. It reinstated current law individual and corporate AMT tax rates. Now the problem for corporations is that the current law alternative minimum tax rate is 20%, which under both the House and the Senate bills is the same rate for regular taxes. That means that corporations have a regular tax and an alternative minimum tax rate equal to the same 20%. This should mean that most corporate taxpayers would be alternative minimum taxpayers. Now the JCT has a low score for this provision. And some have suggested that the JCT may have erred in their calculation of the tax revenue generated by retaining the current law corporate AMT. If you follow me on Twitter, I've retweeted a couple of suggestions that this may be what happened. So what's the concern about so many taxpayers being subject to the corporate AMT? Well, the question becomes, could a taxpayer use tax credits to offset their AMT? And the answer, as with many things in tax law, it depends. Some tax credits offset AMT and some don't. The good news is the local tax credit, historic tax credit, and renewable energy investment tax credit can all be taken against the AMT. But the new market's tax credit can't be taken against the AMT, nor can the final six years of the renewable energy production tax credit for a given development. Which means, if the legislation passes as written, both the new markets tax credit and production tax credit will lose value and will lose many potential investors. We'll keep you updated, as I'm sure you expected. Now for those concerned about tax credit provisions in the House version of the bill, there were a couple of significant letters that were sent last week. A group of 21 Republican members of the House signed a letter to the House of Senate leadership urging the preservation of the tax and status for private activity bonds. Representative Randy Holkren of Illinois was the leader of the group. Of the 21 Republicans who signed the letter, 16 voted for the House version of the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. Now, the House bill passed with 10 votes to spare, so these 16 would appear to have some leverage to make sure private activity bonds remain tax-exempt. And in a related development, 27 Republicans signed a letter urging Ryan and Brady to preserve the historic tax credit as well as make the new market tax credit permanent. All but one of the 27 voted in favor of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. So again, it would seem they would have some significant leverage on House leadership. So to wrap up this week's discussion of tax reform legislation, here's what we know. The House and Senate will meet this week or next, it's beginning to seem like maybe next, in a conference committee to settle differences in their legislation. And advocates need to stay engaged to assure that the best possible outcomes come out of the conference committee. I'd also like to point you to a table that we have on our website that shows how the House and Senate approved tax bills compare. That table is at www.taxreformresourcecenter.com. We will update it with an additional column on the conference committee recommendations as soon as we know them. I'll also keep you posted on Twitter as news breaks on tax reform. My handle is at Novogratic. In other tax credit news, the Bipartisan Policy Center last week released a report that describes how the low-income tax credit can improve health for residents. The report focuses on how lower housing costs allow families to have better health care. You can find the report, which is called Building the Case, Low-Income Housing Tax Credit and Health, at www.taxcredithousing.com. Meanwhile, Joseph Otting, was sworn in last week as the comptroller of the currency. The office of the comptroller, of course, oversees performance evaluations of financial institutions for Community Revitalization Act, or CRA, performance. CRA provisions play a significant role in incentivizing tax credit investments, most significantly in low-income tax credit and new market tax credit investments. And in other banking news, Jelana McWilliams will be nominated as the chairwoman of the FDIC, McWilliams is the chief legal officer of Fifth Third Bank Court. She has worked as a counselor for Senator Richard Shelby and Mike Crapo, who are the current and previous chairman of the Senate Banking Committee. McWilliams' nomination must be approved by the Senate. The FDIC, of course, is a key player in regulating banks nationwide. And in community development news, the CDFI Fund recently released its latest Qualified Equity Investment Issues Report. The CDFI Fund reported that more than $197 million in allocation authority have been issued since the last report in October. If you'd like to see the latest QA report, go to www.NewMarketsCredits.com Well that brings me to the end of this week's report. I want to remind you to keep checking the Notes and Novacote blog at www.novacote.com for our latest analysis of the effects of the tax reform legislation. You can also follow me on Twitter for the latest developments. My handle is at Novogradic. I'd also encourage you to check our Tax Reform Resource Center at www.taxreformresearchcenter.com. That's it for now. I'm Michael Novogradic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogradic and Company LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novacode.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. Novogradic and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novoco.com.